The antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck. I'm Dave Hawkins, and this is The Antidote, where Christian music doesn't suck. I gotta say that I'm amazed how many times people have told me that punk is dead. Well, they're wrong. Dead wrong. That's why there are always new bands jumping into the genre, or in tonight's case, the artist was involved in a different style of music for a while, and have come back to their punk roots. In a nutshell, 
that's the story of Nate Parrish. The joy of punk is that it's opinionated. Like tonight's opening song from Nate Parrish, Bullets and Blades. They recruit us with militant media. They say they'll fight by us. But we're just the lead in the gun. I mean, really, when was the last time that you felt used? Anyway, Nate has a big story that takes us from his past up to the present. So let's get into it. Here's the guy who's at the top of my must-talk-to list. Nate Parrish joins the antidote. It's good to have you here, Nate. Hey, it is good to be here. It's nice to meet you, uh, sort of. Meet your voice. It's nice <laughs> to meet your voice. Exactly. we got to get into this. Your roots were in rock worship bands. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Super uh, not where I thought I would have started out in life. I got, you know, I started in punk bands uh, early on. That's what you do. And I really loved all that stuff. Still do. But um, I found myself at a youth group and I didn't really uh, love the music. <laughs> but uh, I thought the, the worship music that was kind of happening at church was not speaking to me or my generation. So, um, you know, in the youth group, we started writing our own music. We wanted to represent us and our kids. You know, our church was full of a lot of uh, um, hardcore kids and punk kids from the scene. So uh, I was the screamer in our worship band. <laughs> uh, yeah, we started um, writing our own songs and we did this worship night. We played like 22 songs and we let the kids pick which ones they wanted on an album. So that band was called Worth Dying For. And we, uh, we produced our own uh, EP and I got picked up from this really random way. And uh, all of a sudden we had people calling us. And so we were able to um, get a record deal and, and put out an album through uh, Integrity Records. It was weird. I, I never saw that in my future, but somehow I was in this like rock worship band. Yeah, I did that. We put out a couple albums and had another band after that called Kingdom, kind of similar deal. I moved and started at a new church and first person I met was the uh, youth worship guy. <laughs> he, he knew who I was, which is weird. And we became best friends and then we put out a couple albums together. So I've been in that worship world for a while. I leave worship every Sunday pretty much at my church. Yeah, rock and roll worship. And then you moved on to Cutlass, which really, I yeah. think, fits that rock worship label. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the direction a lot of Christian bands are heading? It is. Uh, so the Cutlass thing was interesting because I had met them on a tour that I was on with, with Work Time For, and um, I didn't really know a lot about them apart from, you know, Strong Tower. So I met them and full disclosure, I was like, I'm probably not going to like any of these bands because I was, you know, an arrogant little punk rock kid. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I was like, all these are like grown up guys or whatever, even though I was like in the 20s. But uh, I really hit it off with James Mead. He's a super cool guy. And he was wearing this heavy metal shirt. And I was like, you know about that? And, oh, yeah. So we bonded over metal. So, yeah. So years later, um, they had uh, the guitar player exited the band and literally called me out of the blue. Hey, you want to play guitar and cutlass? <laughs> um, yeah, hold on. Let me quit my job really quick. I quit and then um, <laughs> joined them. But yeah, it, it, when I joined was the, was the era of uh, the first album we did when I was in the band was Surrender. And so that was kind of a, that was a departure from doing the worship stuff. But then the album after that was worship. So how do I tactfully, the industry uh, has moved more towards worship and away from artistry. Not necessarily the bands, because they still put their artistry and their spin on worship, but I think there's a lot of pressure from 
labels and radio and stuff to do worship. I respect uh, people who do worship music because they want to do worship. way back in 2008 was Nate with the band Worth Dying For and their song Let It Out. We're going to move on to find out about Nate's influences and hear about his debut album, which included Everything Is Outrage. We've already got to get into this. Do you think that artists take that route because safe music with safe lyrics is easy to sell? Yes, absolutely. Um, I really love the Sex Pistols. I don't know if I'm allowed to say um, Sex Pistols. Yes, <laughs> we're grown-ups. I love that album. Never mind the bollocks is, to me, all-time great album. Uh, I love Johnny Rotten. I end up watching his interviews a lot because I love his attitude. Because it's he's really big on truth. Truth in his, his art. So during the Sex Pistols time, you know, they were getting accused of treason and all these different things. And, and he was, you know, in that era 
you know, Sex Pistols, Clash, Ramones. They were sick of this shiny product called music that was basically just uh, commercialized. Music wasn't dangerous anymore. They weren't saying anything. They're basically just there to make money. I mean, music and artistry should evoke a reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the most powerful songs are the ones that either make people really angry or inspire them. You have to react to it. It's not always the most profitable, probably the least profitable, but it is the purest form of art. Well, you know, I brought up that point because obviously the songs of Nate Parrish aren't safe. You really are out to challenge people. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I respect when people challenge you or challenge me and not telling you what to think, but telling you that you should think. That's really important because there's no fear in that. The people that try to silence you and try to censor you are the ones that are scared of what you have to say, probably because it's true. I'm not into that. But I do, I do want to challenge and, and I do want to give hope. You know, I don't want to just uh, leave it a dead end. I wanted to, especially when I started the solo project, I wanted to tackle a lot of stuff that I just hadn't really said. Well, really, it makes me wonder about your past music projects then. Did you feel mm -hmm. stifled in that when this was opening things up, moving into the punk realm? Yeah, so like I said, I, I sort of found myself in this world. It was great, but when I was you know, in bands and doing my own music when I was you know, 18, 19, 20, it was none of that because it was just me by myself. So say whatever you want. And I think when I got put in that sort of uh, CCM pipeline, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, even with Worth Dying For, I wasn't a big writer until the second album. And even then, you know, it's corporate worship. So there are parameters that you stick with. Mm -hmm. you're, you're singing songs so on a worship setting, people can sing with you. So that, I understood that. But I still felt like this angst uh, about it. And then, uh, you know, with Cutlass, is great. I play guitar and stuff, and I'm not really part of... Uh, any more of that process of writing or label interaction. Um, but I think over the years when I, I realized uh, that I had not picked up the guitar and just wrote something and said what I wanted to say without thinking twice. So in 2019, I picked up the guitar and I made a decision. I got a bunch of recording stuff. And I was going to, cause I knew I had to do it on my own. Um, so I'm going to sit here and whatever comes out is what it's going to be. And I'm not going to censor it. I'm not going to think twice about it if it's honest. Politicians and Celebrities was the first song that I wrote as a Nate Parrish. To answer your question, yeah, I think I, I felt that you do it for so long, you don't really notice it. Mm -hmm. And then that, it just hit me. I was like, I have so much to say, but where do I say it? Because <laughs> it's not going to come out in any of the music that I've done. I've always done other people's projects. So then 2020 came around and you released your debut, I'm a Wreck. You'd been in the music scene a long time, but now this obviously was your baby. Did you really have a clear vision of what you were wanting? My goal was to write, record, and release a song a month. So I wanted to approach it from just tackling one song at a time. And that way, you're not trying to bite off more than you can chew. You're just really focusing on what you want to say at that moment. Mm -hmm. And then also for me, it's good because it gives me a deadline. You know, so it keeps me on track. But, <laughs> sure, um, keep you on schedule. <laughs> I really, honestly, what I wanted to do was I wanted to see uh, what came out of me. Got recording equipment and got enough to get going. And I just <laughs> started going downhill and running full speed. So 
my goal and my vision was to, uh, you know, and write a song a month and release it. I had no expectations that people would really hear or care, but it was for me. You know, I think if you don't create for yourself first, then you might as well just not do it. So I wanted to hear my influences come out uh, from stuff I loved growing up. You know, like I mentioned, the punk rock stuff, replacements. Um, there's a little bit of touch of hardcore in there, just stuff that I like. And I wanted to stay true to that, not overproduce things and and not uh, tune my vocals up and have it be pretty raw. So I just wanted to be a pure expression of myself. It's a very selfish endeavor. <laughs> so. <laughs> But it was therapeutic for me, and, and I was honored that people would even pay attention. catalyst for me kind of just deciding to do this thing was back in uh, 2018. I don't know if you're familiar with the director, Zack Snyder. Yes. Yeah. So I love him. Uh, you either love him or you hate him. I love Justice League. I love his cut. The greatest thing ever. I love Man of Steel. 
So anyways, I went to a screening of Batman versus Superman director's cut and he was there. It was a really cool experience. He said from stage, you know, people gave him crap about the way he portrayed Superman. And I loved it because it was, I never cared about Superman up until that movie. Mm-hmm. They're like, why did you do that? People you know, were really upset by what he did. And he's like, I had never seen Superman get in a fight. I had never seen Superman bleed. I had never seen Superman be relatable and that you could like, you could identify with him in some way. Yeah. I wanted to like, that's what I did because that's what I wanted, And I want to see him fight Batman. So that's what I did. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and it's the easiest, like no doubt thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But we get so caught up in trying to uh, do it for money or do it for someone says we should do it or do worship music. Cause that's what's selling. But when it comes down to it, you have to do it because you want to, and you love it. That's it has to start. And so when he said that, I was like, Oh, like a light bulb came on. And I was like, I'm doing this. I don't care what people say. I don't care if I get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I want to bring in the title track of I'm a wreck. And the song says, I'm caught between my culture and conviction. The line is gone between what's wrong and right. But now Christians are taught to walk the straight and narrow. So I guess that also brings in the question, can they succeed? Uh, no, not the way, not the way society has, has decided. The hard part for Christians is like in that, you know, caught between my culture and my conviction. So culture has its own idea of what is good, what they base it on. Not sure. But Christians have an idea of what is good because of a person has said, this is what's good. And that Mm -hmm. person's Jesus. So he sets those parameters. So while I may be walking the straight and narrow to culture, I may be be an extremist or I may be whatever label there is. So I think if we're trying to rock the straight and narrow, uh, yeah, we can do that, but it's not going to look like that to people that don't have the same belief system. Here's the really funny thing. Uh, you know, I got, I got some crap because of this album and because I work at church. So naturally you'll have people that I can't believe you're doing punk rock. That's such a rebellious genre, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, you know who the biggest rebel of history of humanity was? Jesus. People wanted him to be political, right? Hey, you're going to come save us and, and put politics in. He's like, no. Nah. They wanted him to do this. They wanted him to do that. And every turn, he was rebelling against this religious system that was set up. You don't kill a person because he's nice. And you don't kill a person because he's playing the, by the rules. Kill a person because he's challenged yourself. He was. He was the original punk. <laughs> I believe that. I really do. I believe if he was here, he would he would sound a lot different than we think.
We just heard the title track from I'm a Rack. I had a question for Nate, so let's hear his answer along with Mind Monopoly. You know, something about punk is that strong opinions always dominate. So is punk your chance to be able to vent? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, You know, people like to put the punk rock thing into a, a, a genre, like a sound, and it's not really. It's an attitude. A lot of that has to do with DIY because it came out of these bands, you know, that first wave of, you know, Clash, Sex Pistols, Ramones. It came out of the fact that they were like, we can't do what Queen is doing, you know, or, you know, whatever glam rock band was doing. They're like, that's not us. And no one's going to help us. So if we want to make music, we have to do it ourselves and do it the way we want to do it. Mostly because we don't have the help. <laughs> we don't have the resources. So I think a lot of it's the, D- the DIY attitude. I think a lot of it is just the raw aggression. That's what I love about it. It's really a vehicle to carry a message. While some people would look at it as just really simple or it's too fast or it doesn't sound very good, whatever it is, like, yeah, but, but it's secondary because it's actually about the message and the music and all that is just a vehicle to carry that. Now, some bands are better than others. I happen to think that the Pistols were extremely talented. Oh, absolutely. Same with, same with the Clash, you know, but I think it's more about the message. Well, I've already mentioned about the opinions that you raise in your songs, like My Monopoly, when it says manipulation of information, I think it's time we turn the station. We're in a digital cage in the information age. That song released two years ago. Has anything changed since then? (laughs) Um, It's gotten worse. (laughs) That's what I think. Yeah, I think it's gotten worse. I do think that some people have woken up because it's gotten so ridiculous. You know what's scary is it used to be a double standard would be a scary thing for a person to have. Mm-hmm. Now it's just people are cool with it. Like that is my standard, having a double standard and, and being in hypocrisy. We're all hypocrites in some way. But to live that as a lifestyle and to not be ashamed of that is pretty scary. And I think there's a lot of people that, that are like that. So... I think it's gotten worse, but I also think that there's an element that people are seeing the ridiculousness of it all, you know, sort of waking up. Think for yourself and, and really, uh, you know, try to see both sides of it because I, I, I think that across the aisle, most people want what's good for themselves, for others, and for the world. We just have different ways of getting there, you know, but if we can't ever have a civil discourse and have a conversation about those different ways, it's going to still be us versus them. So, yeah, that song rings really true. Uh, that was actually probably my favorite song on that album, just because uh, it just makes so much sense. You know, I listen to it, I'm like, dang, these are good lyrics, Nate. <laughs> they give us just enough leash so we think that we're in the
how do you create the music of Nate Parrish? Is it really all you, or do you pull in some help? Oh, I pull in some help, for sure, yeah. So typically the process is sit down, write the music out, and have an idea, kind of what I want to say. So I don't record drums. I do all this in my house. So I uh, enlist friends to track drums remotely. So uh, on the new album, it's pretty much exclusively Ethan Luck. He's a drummer in Nashville. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's done everything. <laughs> yeah. He's done everything. Yeah. So he's really cool. Um, and he gets it. So uh, he's great. He plays drums. My buddy Jason, who's in town, who plays it. He's in my live band. Fantastic musician. Really good dude. Uh, he'll play bass sometimes. He'll do BGV sometimes. Uh, I'll get my wife to sing harmony sometimes. Um, I also have a, on this album, I have a feature. So God knows, um, has a guest vocal from David Button uh, mm-hmm. from the showdown. I love that band. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they're fantastic. And then uh, uh, Jesse Sprinkle plays drums on a song. I just really like him, honestly, and <laughs> wanted him to play on a song. And it's because so. Jesse Sprinkle is in every other band too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I met him because he filled in for Cutlass one time, and he is just such a cool dude and so interesting. And I had this song that's sort of like, as close as I get to a worship song on the album, and I was like, Jesse will get this. So, uh, yeah, so um, if it's not remote, uh, it will be just friends. Um, so I try to pull on friends that I know are just, they're better than me at stuff that I want to get done. Like, I can't play drums. And somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it, okay? It's fun, you know, including you, you know, your your people that you like and friends and stuff. So a few minutes ago, you were talking about Zack Snyder. You're talking about the Superman film, and I got to tell you that I'm a film geek. And something I found is that the opening line of Permanence, I put ah. this ink in my skin so I don't forget where I have been. Write down these words in my head so I don't forget what you said. And that reminds me so much of the Christopher Nolan film, Memento. Yeah, dude, yes. You know, because the main character has this strange kind of amnesia, and sometimes he'll tattoo himself with notes to remind him of his past. Is there any relationship between the two? No. uh, The only reason, so I actually haven't seen it. I'm ashamed. I do love Nolan's films. I haven't seen it, but I have my friend Jordan really, really loved that movie, and he told me the premise. Um, and that was years ago, but maybe subconsciously it got in there. I, I was more on that song talking about my literal tattoos, you know, because you, you get tattoos and people are like, oh, where'd you get that one? And they have stories and stuff, but uh, a lot of them serve as reminders.
obviously my guess about the roots of the song permanence was wrong. <laughs> then again, I also don't have tattoos, so what do I know about that? Let's move on to a pair of Nate Parrish songs that share a connection. I find it kind of cool how you covered one topic from two different angles. Two songs speak about politicians and celebrities. I mean, that's actually the title of one of the songs. Yeah. And that song spins out the dramas celebrities and politicians play on television and how they manipulate us. And the second song is Religion of Relevance. And it relates to idolizing celebrities and allowing them to be false gods. So, I don't know. Do you have a, a hate on for these people? Oh, man. I really don't. Um you know, I and I'm probably guilty of just painting with a broad brush here because I do like I think Chris Pratt seems like a cool dude, and there's a guy like love Zack Snyder. He's a celebrity. I think we have to have a healthy understanding that hey, they don't know you, they never will. Why do we care what they say? You know, I'm really like, why do we take that much information from them? And the politicians thing, I think I'd be a little harder on them. I just don't know how you do it, man. <laughs> you have to be a liar on purpose. Maybe not. Maybe it gets easy. But um, I, I, it's more about our perspective of them and just challenging that. We look at them like they're our freaking saviors, you know, we, literally. Like, we vote for this person. We put all of our hopes in this one person that they're going to do what they say. And how many times have they actually done it? And then we find examples where they literally don't do what they say they're going to do, and we don't care. Okay, cool. They'll get it next time. They won't. Part of their job is to lie to you. Uh, celebrities are professional liars. That's what actors do. They tend to be someone else, and yet we think they're being honest with us. Now you've opened up a big can of worms, <laughs> because really, doesn't that idolizing also happen in our Christian culture? You know, I'm oh, thinking absolutely. of people like Joel Olstein and Lauren Daigle and, you know, maybe even Mr. Nate Parrish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do <laughs> you know him. Yes, he is perfect, though. Everything he says is right on. So you could totally <laughs> just, yeah. No, I, we're, we're the worst, just like them. Um, churches do the same thing. I think people think when you get it, you're a part of a church or, or whatever, and it's just full of the same type of people. Christians just happen to know, for the most part, that we're wretches and that we need a Savior. That's the difference. doesn't mean we don't do bad stuff. We do the same thing. You're right. You know, we've seen so many uh, pastors and their downfall, mostly because we put them on a pedestal that keeps them so far above us that they can't hear our criticisms anymore, and they can't hear our questions. You know, we've hoisted them up, and then we take pleasure in tearing them down. So, yeah, Christians do the same thing. And pastor, celebrity pastor worship is really gross. But it's easy to do, man. I mean, I grew up idolizing basketball players because I was really into basketball, and then idolizing uh, rock stars. You know, you want to play guitar and stuff. So you got to really uh, continuously recalibrate your brain. Remind yourself, these are people just like you. You only see the parts of themselves that they want to show you, like Instagram. They're not showing you the part where they're, you know, abusing their wife or whatever. They're just showing you the picture of them on the beach. Down the hill from Hollywood Beyond the walls of Washington The rest of us just 
just wait for you to tell us what to think Tell us what to say Politicians and celebrities They're scripting our reality Where it means to their end These people aren't your friends They just play them on TV Hey, this is Nate Parrish, and you are listening to The Antidote. Our own reflections will never be 
first we heard politicians and celebrities, then religion of relevance. As I said at the start of tonight's episode, punk is full of strong messages, and that's what we've been hearing on the songs of Nate Parrish. On the next episode of The Antidote, we'll hear from Kenzie Coyne of Dear Luna. The band may not be Christian, but Kenzie is, and she shares about how her faith carries her through the tough times. Be sure to tune in. In the next couple months, there'll be a new release coming from Nate Parrish. We'll hear about that next, along with his new single, God Knows. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Some of the songs on the show tonight are coming from the upcoming Nate Parrish release. When do we actually get to hear the entirety of Soul Surgery? Uh, It comes out April 8th, 2022. That's too long away, man. I want (laughs) you to bring the date closer. Yeah. I. uh, So funny thing is, when I put off the first album, I was already working on this album. Because like I said, it was a sort of a collection of singles. Mm-hmm. So when I decided to put an album together, I had all these songs written. I, I really have tried to keep um, that writing muscle strong. So I just forced myself to sit down and write. Even if I just come up with a riff, at least I you know, did something. So I've been writing and working on this album since uh, summer of 20. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure that uh, I gave it some space to breathe too. Because it'll still be you know, almost two years since the last album. I was ready to release an album last year, and uh, I was talking with uh, uh, Brandon from Indie Vision Music. He's like, eh, you might want to wait because people still haven't even heard this album. I don't care. I need to put out more music. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, ah, you know what? You probably know what you're talking about. So I, I'm glad I was patient because I ended up scrapping uh, most of that album, and, all, and these songs are newer. Um, a lot of them are newer. Really? You just buried them into the ground? I buried them. Yeah, there's probably six that were um, done, but not uh, mixed or mastered. I think I'll still do something with them later on because I still like them. But, you know, when you're writing an album and uh, life takes sharp turns, uh, it sort of uh, changes what you're writing about. And so when I started collecting these songs, like this is like a theme. Some of the songs didn't fit the theme, you know, because they were a little older. So it was a good thing that I waited. Well, and I guess we all have to wait longer now, too. You know what, though? I'm a, so I got a song coming out uh, the 28th. I'll, I'll release another single in February and then one more in March. So we'll, we'll get some songs leading to it. Well, at least tonight we do have one of them, God Knows, which is coming from that release. So, Nate, you sent me an advanced copy and asked me what I thought. And I said it was a solid statement of faith. But really, that was just on first listen. So when I listened to it again, I'd realized that I'd missed a lot of what you were trying to say. There's way more to the song. Yeah, it's got a lot of layers. Um, It deals a lot with spiritually manipulative environments. You've talked to me now for a few minutes. I don't really shy away from being confrontational. For some reason, that aspect has been tough because you are, I was trained to not ask questions it's a really manipulative way that sometimes in spiritually abusive people will sort of dangle the carrot and the carrot is god and they stand in between you and god as if you can't just go to him yourself and so um and you know uh, 
there's other things attached to that. So anyways, this song was, was uh, basically, you know, the chorus is, I mean, it's very black and white. God knows I tried to keep the song fight. God knows it's time to take the cross and cross the line. And then the other part of it was, you know, when you get to that bridge part, talks about uh, the first line is, I was afraid this was all my fault. My sins outweighed the grace of God. Uh, you didn't give me what I want, like the preacher on TV with the gold ring song. And <laughs> <laughs> that has to do with, um, in, in these systems, your God is seen as a genie in that as long as you obey the rules, and work your fingers to the bone, God will give you what you want. I went through a few years where God did not give me what I wanted. In fact, he, my worst nightmares came true. And I had to be confronted with either daylight or God's a liar. But you knew the truth. Well, I, I got there. I had to get there. Uh, you had to work through some stuff. There's a lot of uh, deprogramming that goes on. And uh, the last part of that bridge where it talks about, he is the ocean, I'm in, I am just a wave. Mm-hmm. is sort of like the flip of the perspective of, you know, especially in American Christianity, we think God do this and that, and you'll have your best life now. You read scripture, that's none of that's in there at all. That's right. There is no equation that gets you the perfect life. In fact, all the disciples did not have super awesome lives. So my problem was my perspective was upside down where somehow God was uh, had to do my bidding, and he didn't. And so I was faced with the question, who is God then? And so that, you know, he is the ocean. I'm just a wave perspective of God is the boss. <laughs> he's the creator and uh, he's good. Um, but that doesn't always mean good by human standards. Well, Nate, I got to tell you, man, this has been a good talk, but way too short. <laughs> it means we're going to have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for coming to The Antidote. Oh, man, I'm, uh, thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure.